Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> Now, what's good, everyone? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin, my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds, got my co-pilot back. Sorry for a kind of low-energy solo episode last week. And today, uh, I'm going to be mostly just hitting recaps on the UFC fight night headlined by another fight hit by the curse of 22 which is like meaningful title contender and main event fights ending in weird fucking injury TKOs Uh, but that being said much like with several of the other weird injury TKOs that have ended meaningful fights this year uh, I'm going to be here to uh, remind people that this is still a way that you can win fights. And sometimes these things happen because of things that go on in the fight. So let's just get on into it. Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen. We saw throughout the first round uh, all of the reasons that myself and a lot of other people thought this was going to be a really tricky fight for Calvin Cater. It seemed like Arnold Allen was starting to take over pretty hard early. You know, we don't don't know how the rest of the fight could have played out otherwise, but, you know, it was like, can Calvin Cater get his jab going? You know, is Arnold Allen just going to be able to, like, outmaneuver him and just, like, win quick exchanges and then then just get the fuck away while Calvin Cater's still got his feet set and he's trying to land bombs? And, yeah, we kind of saw that, like, Calvin Cater was trying to get his jab going early and he was like, ah, fuck, what's he doing with his hand? So mostly started resorting to just winging right hands through the open side while the lead hands were occupied. Uh, But that's like Arnold Allen's thing and he's just like quicker and way more experienced about just winning that exact exchange repeatedly in a fight. So he started like landing his left straight a lot and like get, getting off on nice angles and got Calvin Cater chasing him to the point that he threw a flying knee which he like tried to turn out at a 90 degree angle mid-air to catch Arnold circling out and he landed on his knee like completely side on with just like all of the impact jarring the shit out of it and you know, made it through the rest of the round and got into the second round because Calvin K was fucking ridiculously tough. But then, like, eight seconds into the second round, the first low kick Arnold Allen threw just sat Calvin K down and the fight was stopped. So, um, yeah, it was looking like it was going to be a tricky fight for Calvin K. But, you know, we knew it was going to be, and we knew there was, like, things that he had in his arsenal that were going to help him get back into that kind of fight. Um, and then he just blew his knee out, throwing just one of the most uh, suicidally idiotic strikes I've ever seen in a fight. Yeah, Calvin Cater overthrows a lot of his offense. Uh, he, despite having very good mechanics, he'll just throw with so much intensity that he throws himself completely off balance. The Jeremy Stevens 
uh, finish being a good example where he knocks him out with an elbow and then throws a winging left hook that like he almost fell over and did a spin he threw so hard. And this time, it, it really, anytime you see Cater think there's a, a guaranteed read, even if there's like not much reason to think that the read's there at all, he'll just he'll just fucking like throw it full intensity. Like he really went for the flying knee because for some reason he thought he was going to be there. But like Cater doesn't like opponents that move sideways a lot. And Allen was also doing enough things to annoy Cater whenever he was standing in front of him. Like just like occupying the lead hand outside low kicks with the lead side. Uh, since it was self orthodox, he just kind of like would check the hand and skip up with a right low kick, and it, it really annoyed Cater. Like Calvin just has never really liked people that will move sideways and throw low kicks at him and not let him jab. So I feel like in a lot of ways this is kind of a nightmare matchup for him always in the early rounds. He was doing good things, like, or, or ha- at least had good ideas, even if it wasn't super effective with, like, front kicks. And uh, it was pretty much just the front kicks. Like, he it, he seemed kind of aimless in the first round. It was more just him, like, biding time until Allen wore himself down a little bit. And the way that Allen was fighting, it seems like probably a little bit too labor-intensive for me to expect him to be doing well over the course of five in his first five-round fight. Yeah, particularly against a guy who we know is really experienced in five-round fights and has the conditioning and will just, like, wade through damage until he can, like, land singular exchanges to win the fight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, and I, I was wondering if, you know, because, yeah, exactly, early this fight just looked exactly how you would expect it to. And then I thought, well, is he just going to do what he did against Giga Jakadze and just start, like, relentlessly pushing forward with, like, shifting elbows and shit like that? And we didn't even get to see how that kind of thing would have worked out. It, it just really seemed like he kind of was getting low on ideas to start and was just really thinking he had to bide his time. But then his knee was injured, so he just couldn't even do that. And his knee got really fucked up. I don't know like what type of injury it was, but it's something where like, I would still like to see a rematch, but also, like you said, it's a valid way to win a fight, even if it's not like a replicable thing that you should game plan for. But like, I feel like that doesn't that happens probably like three or four times out of a hundred if they fought a hundred times. Like Cater, it just goes for some stupid shit. And when you watch the replay, it's like he he mid air was like, okay, I'm gonna do a round knee as instead. But it's like he, he he launches off of the ground, and then Arnold is circling out, so he's like trying to track Alan mid air with absolutely no consideration for what's going to happen when he hits the floor again. Yeah, and uh, also something neat is that uh, whenever someone gets a leg injury, people always say, oh, kick the leg. No, don't kick that leg. Kick their other leg so that they have to brace on their injured leg. And that's what, what Cater did. He was already doing that. It wasn't like a specific read, but it's just nice to see that happen because normally people will start hunting for the injured leg. Even though You're not normally going to finish someone by kicking their injured leg. You're going to, because they'll just like take their weight off of it and like eat shit. But if you kick their, like Cater checked the kick that ended up losing him the fight because he braced on his injured leg and then like the tendon popped. But I don't know. uh, I think Alan was doing really good. uh, Just like stepping in and punching Cater between his guard because Cater has a very rote high guard, especially early. He just kind of like puts it up, and if you can occupy his lead hand to where he's too scared to counter back, 
then you can just step in really hard with power shots straight down the middle. And his body's always very vulnerable. And Allen didn't really overstay his welcome in any exchanges too much, as well as the fact that though Cater's good in exchanges, he's not really the type of exchanger that Cater is or that Allen is. Allen's more likely to swarm you really hard and then get out of the exchange, whereas uh, Cater kind of prefers for there to be a bunch of like short single exchanges. Yeah, and we have seen uh, Calvin Cater kind of just uh, wait his turn a little too much against people who will take that kind of approach to exchanges. Even though he definitely beat Josh Emmett. A lot of why Emmett was having success is because he would take small victories and then the judges just kind of like saw those going for him. Whereas this one, it seemed like it would be a lot more Allen just beating the shit out of Cater for a good 10 seconds or so and then completely disengaging and being negative for the next two two or so minutes or like 40 seconds. Yeah, which is something that I was thinking like... Is he going to be able to fight Calvin Cater like he did with Sadiq Yusuf, where he'd just be like, I'll just hurt the guy once and then do nothing for the rest of the round and make sure the other guy can't do anything? An incredibly valid neutralizing strategy, especially uh, against a guy that's kind of like a perpetual journeyman like Calvin Cater is, where he's like probably one of the, the closest to elite journeymen there is in the sport. Like he's he's ranked. He doesn't even really fit the like criteria with journeyman it's more just like yeah well i mean he's ranked pretty well and he's constantly in main events yeah like he doesn't really fit the the bill but when you see his style it's basically that like he's a bit of a donald cerrone you know he's just uh just reliable action fighter who will turn up and do his job and has something to give in certain elite matchups yeah, and limitations are kind of well-known, but is always going to be a tough out. Like it, It's feasible that he could give Brian Ortega a very difficult fight and yet basically give Max Holloway his most free win that he's had in years. So didn't really learn much about uh, Cater aside from the fact that he's he, he needs to be a bit more disciplined with his offense. Uh, like in the, I had the issue with him in the Chikadze fight where at a certain point he just stopped sitting down on shots and started just like tapping at him because he was going for a success percentage rather than actual kill shots, even once he had enough reads to start going for kill shots. And he didn't really go for any until the last like 15 seconds. He also landed a bunch of like close enough kill shots that didn't quite work, so <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it, it it's fair enough. But and then this fight, it seemed like kind of the reverse issue where he was kind of getting shut down. So he was like, oh, I got to go for something. I got to go for a flying knee as he's circling off. Which, if someone's circling off, why is your thought flying knee? I don't I don't. I, I think Cater's offense is way too like straightforward like directed like he really doesn't like when people circle out yeah, like ha had he done a flying switch kick then maybe he would have knocked arnold allen the fuck out yeah but cater has the issue his, most of his offense is like front kicks jabs and straights and then when it comes to all of his round attacks they're just kind of weak like he's not much of a body hitter unless it's like an uppercut to the body yeah, it's basically just his left hook. hooks. Yeah, he, he doesn't, and his left hook even isn't great. It's just fine. And it doesn't really work into his game much. It's more just like a one-off thing, or he'll do like uh, like two, three. But the left hook is always like one of his weaker shots. And even then, this is a southpaw matchup, so Allen is normally pretty good about keeping his lead shoulder up. So 
it just seems like tactically it's really hard for Cater to win these type of fights if he doesn't make very, very broad adjustments right off the bat. In this type of fight, it like shows just how how centered towards linear attacks his offense is. Because he doesn't even have like a good round kick really to fall back on if something someone's circling a lot. He doesn't have anything to stop you from circling. He doesn't really cut you off. He just kind of will either move backwards and get put on the cage if he gets tagged up a little bit or he'll he'll wait for you to stand still and that's when he'll really get his offense yeah which is why i kind of thought like the approach in the giga jukadze fight made sense for who he was and showed like more kind of stylistic adaptability because it wasn't great traditional pressure fighting um but he just had the guy running away from him so much that he could kind of just beat the fuck out of him so like wasn't always pretty but it worked uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know where either guys go from here. Although I will say that Arnold Allen was not the first one to mention uh, some kind of interim featherweight championship. This is why I don't fucking care about Volk fighting Islam Makachev because people are already fucking talking about this shit. Uh, I don't know. Have Arnold Allen fight Yair Rodriguez, I guess. Um if folks occupied doing that whole thing, which if the flying switch kick read is there, then, you know, Yaya Rodriguez is a nightmare matchup for Arnold Allen. Yeah, just do a flying switch kick. That is the key to being Arnold Allen. He circles. Okay, so in the co-main event, uh, Max Griffin defeated Tim Means uh, in an incredibly Max Griffin-Tim Means fight because Max Griffin will come in with good ideas and surprise people early with some speed and power but he's not a very good finisher and like he'll just get stuck on that same idea and it'll stop working uh and tim means is like savvy enough to get back into the fight after getting hurt but too old to actually like push the fight back in his favor against a physical force even though he somehow picked up a split in this fight that he probably didn't deserve. So yeah, decent performance by Max Griffin, but showed all of the problems with Max Griffin, which is if he drops you in the first round, he is guaranteed to not drop you again in the rest of the fight. Tim Means, I think, has finally reached the point to where he's too old to be winning matchups that he used to win very replicably. Like, this is a, a always a hard fight for him because Max Griffin's just a good fighter and, and kind of annoying to fight if you're an all-rounder who kind of focuses on, on striking. Yeah, true, but I just feel like Tim Means earlier in his career would have been able to, after getting hurt but not finished in the first round, would actually be able to get back into winning rounds and, like, beat Max Griffin in the pocket when he runs out of ideas instead of just, like, being able to survive and limit the success that Griffin's able to have in the rest of the fight. I agree. Uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta uh, decisioned Jared Vandera in a low kick versus jabs performance, but it wasn't just low kicks versus jabs. It was... A fucking shitload of low kicks versus jabbing and then the occasional scream in anger just to, like, get the judges going. And then a lot of mean mugging and occasional dancing. So, yeah, kind of just like Waldo Cortez Acosta having youthful, exuberant optics won him the fight where he was getting his leg destroyed. Yeah, it, did, it did, didn't look very good, though. 
he probably didn't deserve this fight. He, you know, like he would just throw a really quick jab, usually just to the body, but yeah, was actually getting like obliterated with low kicks, couldn't defend them at all, and like was getting spun around and like constantly switching stances and then would check one and scream. Uh, yeah, I don't know, this fight was dumb and bad. Uh, but uh, Trayshawn Gore uh, squeezed a guy's head off. Yeah. That was cool. One of the most brutal guillotines I've seen in a while. And his opponent did the classic middleweight thing of jumping off the cage, just like in the Marvin Vittori, uh, Carl Robertson fight. <laughs> yeah, he did do that. Middleweight yeah, to was... get guillotined and then try and kick off the cage in weird ways. Yeah, this fight was funny just because I thought it was something of an experience mismatch and Josh Fremd was going to like win easily just by having like three times as many fights as Trayshawn Gorn, being reasonably well-rounded and knowing what he was doing. He was winning and just kind of easily bopping Gore up and then like smothered his offense with a bad takedown entry and... Trayshawn Gore just grabbed his head and fucking squeezed it. Like Michael Bisping said it best when he was interviewing Trayshawn Gore after the fight. He said, that was not the most technical guillotine, but you nearly wrecked the guy's head off. And I think Trayshawn Gore is more experienced than it seems like he is just because, you know, he had the ultimate fighter fights that were against not great competition, but experienced competition. And he looked so composed in most of his ultimate fighter run. To the point where his entire UFC career has been kind of baffling because he seemed a lot more, he seemed just seemed a lot smarter in his Ultimate Fighter fights. Because he was doing things like cutting people off well. He was green, obviously, but he was doing smart counters. It, it seemed like he just had more ideas on Ultimate Fighter than he did in his actual fighting career so far. But this is a good sign, and he's incredibly athletic, and he's so early in his career that his recent difficulties are kind of undercut by his, like, just how new he is to fighting. Like, the guy has six fights now. You know, when we were talking about Trayshawn Gore coming straight out of the tough house, I was, like, cautiously excited for this guy because he is clearly very talented, but... Yeah, he's just still kind of too green to be here, and I still just want to see him like be able to sharpen up his tools at a lower level and like just get better at fighting because <laughs> he is—he's very athletic, but I don't think he has the kind of fighting talent that like is going to equip him for the just trial by fire that getting into the UFC that early is like, it's not worked out for that many people. And his chin though good, it is not good enough for him to just be eating shit. Like he got dropped in his fight before this and then finished. Like he, he got uh, fucked up really badly. Cause he was throwing naked low kicks. Like he doesn't really have the chin to just eat shit. Even when making small mistakes or sometimes large mistakes. So it seems like he's the type of guy who just needs experience. Yeah, it's generally one of the things you need to to have Max Holloway's career <laughs> is is to just be able to eat shit against fighters who are way better than you and it just be a good learning process. Uh, Khalil Roundtree fought Dustin Jacoby and kind of won a robbery. I thought this fight was okay and I didn't mind the decision you know, it was a pretty classic uh, 
like volume versus power thing. It was an okay fight. It like really showcased both guys' limitations massively because Dustin Jacoby was trying to win almost just off of jabs. He would throw his right hand, but he was kind of still just throwing it like a jab. He was just just trying to like whip it out there and touch Khalil. He'd never really sat down on it. Um, and I think it showed like an issue that he's just not really able to gradate his power because we've seen Dustin Jacoby can like sit down in the pocket and throw a big counter straight and fuck someone up. But in this fight, he was like, no, I just, I got to overwhelm the power puncher. But the problem with that, much like when I was talking about, um, if you want to overwhelm a power puncher with volume, you still need to like throw enough with authority to make them respect your volume. Because if you're just trying to touch your opponent at a certain point, they realize they can just ignore your volume and just try and find counter opportunities. You know, he needed to like be able to use the initiative and positional advantage that he had got from all of those jabs to actually then sit down on like a big right hand or left hook. He kind of just didn't. Although, you know, he'd throw in some low kicks there, like whenever Khalil was exiting or just like planted really hard. And then, yeah, Khalil was kind of mostly just waiting for the counter opportunities and just trying to like get low kicks back. But like I said, it would work because he kind of mostly knew that he could just ignore Jacoby's jabs, which showed like uh, <laughs> a remarkable amount of composure from Khalil Roundtree. He'd just be like, okay, I'll just lose three exchanges in a row just to win one like way harder. So I didn't mind the decision because it showed improvements in Khalil Roundtree and Dustin Jacoby is supposed to be the experienced kickboxer. Yeah, I thought that the decision was bullshit, but morally I'm glad Khalil Roundtree won because Jacoby was talking about uh, Khalil being mentally weak before the fight and being like, oh, I'm just going to overwhelm him because uh, he he breaks if you really put the pace on him. And he he doesn't have success early, basically calling him a front runner, which is fair-ish. But Cleo Roundtree has more depth to his character than that. Like you you can't just go in and avoid getting hit by him and then win. So good on Cleo Roundtree. Uh, he deserved the decision as a person more. Uh, Roman Delitze, uh injured Phil Hall's leg and then Phil yeah, Hall's- okay. This is another one, right, where fucking everyone has got to stop, particularly the UFC commentary, have got to stop with any kind of just, like, weird injury that happens in a fight, being like, oh, so unfortunate, oh, who knows how the fight could have played out. Roman Delidze fucked up Phil Hawes' knee with a knee bar, and then Phil Hawes became really tentative on the back foot, and we know about Phil Hawes that, like, you know, his game only works when he is pushing people back and fucking them up because he's, like, good offensively but doesn't have very good defense or a very good chin. Like, when Phil Hawes is on the back foot feeling really tentative because he knows his knee kind of fucked up, he just got knocked out instantly. Yeah, it was very uh, fucked that the referee didn't stop the fight whenever... His knee was so injured because he was so hurt. Yeah, because Delizze even uh, like acknowledged it and gave him the opportunity and was like, "Look, his knee's fucked. You should probably stop the fight." And then the ref did, and so he just walked up to him, knocked him clean out. Yeah, I would have bet literally any amount of money that uh, that Phil Hawes wouldn't make it out of that round and would probably get knocked out to the head. Once I noticed that Delizze wasn't going to be throwing low kicks, and his he was just like stuck on the fence 
or like stuck moving backwards because he d- didn't have anything to really give. And also, Phil Hawes is a such a power puncher in the sense that like he he really needs both of his legs to be working for him to get power. So he is now a power puncher that has no power and doesn't really have a chance and doesn't really have a game that works if he's he's not able to go full force. So it was just a matter of time before the guy that's already larger just walked up and bonked him. And it was it was a nice finishing sequence, but Phil Hawes got knocked out so fucking hard for no reason when they it, they could have just cut his losses and had it been an injury. And you know what? I'm going to go at his corner a lot more than I'm going to go at the referee. Because if your fighter is injured, like, how the fuck do you not know that your fighter can't win a fight at that point? Like, have they not trained with him? Like, I just by watching Phil Hall's fights, I know that he isn't going to be able to handle that situation. Referees aren't supposed to decide whether or not they stop the fight based on context, whereas corners are. Like, a referee can't just be like, oh, well, Phil Hawes isn't the type of fighter that can fight with an injured leg, so I- I'm going to stop the fight. They They have to universally be like, okay, well... If it's an injury that someone's willing to fight through, I'll let them keep going. And then if they get fucked up, it's on them or their corner. So, like, fair enough for the referee. But the corner has to know their fighter and take into account shit like, oh, my fighter is is not... like If someone's a, a grappler that can kind of get by with leg injury, or if you have a fighter that can fight with a broken hand pretty competently... Or if it's, like, a title fight. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he's never going to get back here again, just give him every chance. Yeah, and even then, there's still the, the context of if your fighter is getting to that point, they're probably good enough to fight with that type of injury. But Phil Hawes is, I, I believe, unranked, or at least, like, not well-ranked. He's, he's not a good enough fighter to where you, we have any reason to believe that he has the depth required to be able to win with such a substantial injury. And this fight wasn't uh, of a level of importance to to put Phil Horse through that risk. Yeah, and it, the Calvin Cater situation is different because it's a title eliminator and also Calvin Cater, though not a fighter that can really uh, handle a leg injury like that, he was already losing. It still makes more sense because you know he's he's not the pretty much the the worst case scenario happened. Like there was no way he was just going to get bonked really hard. Like he would always injure his leg before anything else happened in that fight. So worst case scenario, let him go out into the second. Maybe he gets something done. He's probably just going to get uh his his leg injured and it's going to snap and then it'll stop it. So I don't really have a problem with the way that the the corner handled Calvin Cater's fight. But this one makes no Yeah, and also this is the same corner that uh, uh, was in Chaos Corner when he fought Max Holloway. So yeah, you're they're, gonna they're never going to stop that. a fight for him. Uh, whereas this one, it, it seemed like just Phil Hall's corner not really understanding their fighter at all, which is upsetting. But not surprising. No. Uh, Andre Alosky got fucked up by Marco Sigerio de Lima. Yeah, it's a pretty replicable way to beat old Arlovsky at this point to just go up and put power on him and then choke him because he's a very quick tapper when at this point in his career yeah and Delima is really fucking fast and hits hard in the first round and can wrestle some and like you, you, Andre needed to get out the first round and he didn't uh, the Iron Turtle destroyed Joseph Holmes because this fight probably shouldn't have been made. Yeah, it was a very the Iron Turtle. Kind of small, not that athletic, doesn't have great defense, 
but like he fucking knows what he's doing and Joseph Holmes is too green and had absolutely no depth to be able to keep the Iron Turtle from just doing whatever he wanted. Yeah, a lot of wrist rides just kind of very easily controlling him on the ground. It, it was it was a foregone conclu- conclusion that this was kind of how the fight was going to go. Uh, Steve Garcia knocked out Chase Hooper because Steve Garcia is the fucking best. Uh, Chase Hooper looks like his chin's finally caught up to him. Like, he's always been droppable, but this time he got, like, legit beaten the fuck out of. He got dropped four times in a minute. Yeah, just definitely not a good look at all. Uh, Just every time he threw anything, he was eating a hard left straight back. And, you know, he he has the durability of youth and having not been dropped that many times, and that does not last you that long. You got to get some defense. Yeah, and his style is something where even if he's winning, it still requires him getting his ass beat normally. Uh, I think that, and I think that the this time the referee kind of fucked up because like Chase Super had Steve Garcia exactly where he wanted him. Like, come on, give him a little bit longer. Let him get dropped about three or four more times. Oh yeah, this is an early stoppage. Yeah, he had him exactly where he wanted him, but good on Steve Garcia for uh, gaming the system by knocking his opponent down four times. Like, real cheap win. But Steve Garcia looked good. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that... Yeah, good for Steve Garcia. <laughs> I don't think he really told us much about, like, his progression because Jay Super is a very specific matchup where if you can land clean on him and not follow him to the ground in a, a way that gets you submitted, you're probably going to beat his, the fucking brakes off of him. Like, Alex Caceres despite being one of the lowest power hitters in the division and a former bantamweight easily outclassed chase hooper not that long ago and chase hooper though he looked very good in his uh recent fights in like the last year or so it just doesn't really matter at a certain point because he still has all the athletic limitations and he's not really working on all the the issues that he needs to address to become a better fighter well, I mean, in his last fight, it, it at least seemed like he had rounded out his game to where it made some kind of sense offensively. There was some kind of even if he isn't getting dropped. Yeah, there, there was there was some kind of but, but there was actually some kind of uh, some kind of process and like things connecting together to win an MMA fight, other than just being like oh, I've done some karate and jujitsu, but. It's, st- it's still not enough, uh, even at this level. Yeah, he needs to do some boxing as well as jiu-jitsu and karate because his his hand defense is genuinely atrocious. He also needs to do some uh, bodybuilding jitsu and like actually get in, in better shape because he's gotten in better shape, but he, he needs to bulk up. And I rarely ever bring that up for a fighter because that's normally not the issue at all. But him, he is not like physically competent enough to hang with elite featherweights. Steve Garcia was kind of hossing him in the very short uh, tie-ups they were having, just pushing him off because Chase Hooper is so weak. And I like Chase Hooper a lot. Like I, I really think that he could be a decent fighter. He just has terrible management and he he doesn't really know what he has to do to get better i don't think uh christian rodriguez uh anaconda choked joshua weems because joshua weems 
was trying to be very floaty and annoying on the outside and then really fucking aggressive and clinch a guy that looks very composed. Christian Rodriguez, Rodriguez just looked very composed and then bided his time while winning on the feet pretty easily until Weems just really overstayed his welcome in a grappling exchange or, or got a little too fresh with him and was like, oh, I'm going to try and just do a really shitty takedown attempt and not get guillotined. Yeah, he, he, he just kind of had to wait until Weems uh, opened himself up on the ground and then <laughs> submit him because Rodriguez is not a bad grappler. It's, he's just primarily a striker. So it was the classic grappler grapples too recklessly against a guy that is not as bad at grappling as he thinks he is. Not really much else happened on the card. Uh, no. Yeah, I also like how we talked about every fight and then you just skip straight past the uh, Cody Durden versus Carlos Mota. Because who gives um, a shit? Yeah, it was bad. Carlos Mota couldn't stop a takedown and played guard. That was the whole yeah. fight. And Durden got a knockdown in then just oh, like yeah. up. Oh, maybe yeah. something I can bring up is I think that flyweight no longer is a division that's bad for control wrestlers because how many people have left the UFC or are retired now that used to be the reason that you couldn't be a control grappler. Like Formiga, uh, Joseph Benavidez, DJ, Henry Cejudo, uh, Dustin Ortiz, like all of the great scramblers that were really fucking hard to wrestle traditionally, or like even John Dodson who just had crazy hips. They're not at, at flyweight or they're not in the UFC anymore. So there's really nothing stopping you from being a, a great control grappler in the division anymore. Uh, there's still Brandon Royval. Yeah, but also Brandon Royval uh, got kind of control grappled by, uh, by Pantoja. So even then, he, he has limitations of someone that just has a good back take. Okay, that was that card. Uh, we got another one coming up this weekend. Uh, not that much stuff that really jumping out at me, but we can go into crazy depth on or anything, but good main event. Uh, Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Lamosh. Two fucking big, violent Brazilian strikers. This shit sounds fun. Um, I kind of think it's a pretty bad matchup for Amanda Lamosh because she is like the classic... Like super dangerous, given open space, but falls apart on the back foot kind of fighter. Um, I know that loss to uh, Leslie Smith was a long time ago. It was two weight classes up, and and Lemos was just clearly um, just in worse shape and just generally worse at fighting. But we still see the issues even in a fight that she won, but was very hard for her against Angela Hill, um, in which she dropped Angela Hill with a front kick in the first round um came pretty close to getting the finish but uh like Angela Hill just stayed on the pressure and kept pushing Lemosh back and like wouldn't let her just get off single shot counters for free and would just keep extending everything and then you know Marina Rodriguez who kind of has the opposite issue in that she wants to pressure and move forward all, all the time is kind of foot slow and doesn't necessarily have the tools for cutting people off. So against someone like Yan Xiaonan will have somewhat of a tendency to just follow her opponent around. Um, but I kind of just think over five rounds and uh, Rodriguez having fought five rounds multiple times, I think she's, she's going to have some trouble early, particularly because like 
Um, she's just kind of slow, and Lemosh can like land some nice counters, and as people are coming in on her, like particularly early. Um, but it's just like it's hard for her to maintain herself in a good position to do that if she's not able to finish someone and if they really press the issue and try and push her back. Then there's just the fact that if she tries to push Rodriguez back, Rodriguez is just a really active clincher where she's not tremendously technical, like certainly less so than like Angela Hill, who gave Lamosh a lot of trouble in the, in the clinch. But whereas Angela Hill is like really like diligent with head positioning and stuff like this, Rodriguez, she's just big and will grab a double collar tie and smash you with knees. And Lemosh, she's like, she's powerful, but I'm not sure that she's actually that strong. Yeah, it's Jessica Andrade, but getting standing head and arm choked just, like, doesn't happen. Um, do you think a grappling dynamic even really comes into this fight? I don't know what you think about this whole thing, Christian. The more I'm thinking about the fight, the more I'm thinking Rodriguez might just beat the absolute shit out of Lemosh. He's looking that way, right? Because Lamosh is good, like, definitely not going to discount uh, where she is competent, but she just doesn't have as many lanes that she can have success in, and she's less proven, and, like, she's not young. It's just kind of hard for me to see Lamosh having that much success outside of single counters, but even then, Rodriguez has a great chin, and it's five rounds, so fight's more likely to get bad for Lamosh than it is for Rodriguez. Yeah, and Rodriguez will just, like... Like I feel like she'll just eat the counters and keep wading forward and keep keep extending those exchanges and like just giving Lamosh more layers to deal with after she's able to get her counters off. And just yeah, like again, a, a route to victory against Rodriguez has been like takedowns and top control. Like she has had issues with takedown defense, but also just has like pretty good jujitsu, but can kind of get stuck just doing jujitsu. But I just I don't necessarily think Amanda Lemos is necessarily going to take advantage of that. I think she's a much more just like opportunistic I'll hit a submission if like you get hurt or take a bad shot on me and I get a good entry but it's not really something that she'll do to win rounds. So I'm going to pick Rodriguez by third round knockout? Yeah, I feel like Rodriguez is just a little too squirrely to actually get meaningfully impacted by Lamosh having any success. Like if Lamosh really hurts Rodriguez, I think Rodriguez is just going to be fine and and we'll just recover and then win the next couple rounds. So I think I'm leaning fourth or fifth round TKO for Rodriguez. I I think that Lamosh can handle herself for three rounds and I think Rodriguez is probably going to go at a slower pace for the first few rounds just to make sure she paces herself well into the fourth and fifth. But then the fourth and fifth I'm kind of expecting her to just uh, Neil Magny's fighting Daniel Rodriguez. Okay, so here's the thing. I feel like a lot of people are going to look at this and be like, oh, well, Daniel Rodriguez is good. Of course he's going to beat Neil Magny. But I, I'm not so sure about that because... <sighs> like, who are the people who beat Neil Magny? Um, relentless pressure fighters who hit really hard and kick the shit out of his legs... And like powerful top control wrestlers. When's when's the last time he just got he just lost to like a solid boxing technician who does a jab? And also, I I do want to bring up the thing that I feel like in the analysis community is just kind of undercut by like the meme of of Neil Magny being being not 
the best fighter, like not being crazy dynamic. Uh, Neil Magny's a good fighter. Yeah, of course he is. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of gets lost in it a lot of the time. Like, Neil Magny's good. Like, he's been around for a long time, and he wins in replicable ways. Absolutely. It's just he loses in incredibly replicable ways as well. And every time Neil Magny loses a fight, you're like, oh, yeah, Neil Magny did the Neil Magny. And you could look at all of his fights, and every single one of them makes complete sense for why he lost. Or one. Yeah. So, like, is there any reason that he can't just do what he did to the leech and just work his hilarious reach advantage and stay active behind his kind of wonky but very long and active jab and um, just clinch up with Daniel Rodriguez where, whenever he tries to get too frisky in the pocket? It's not like D-Rod is, is the most versatile uh, shot selection wise, I don't really think he's going to have too much success if Neil Magny can just occupy the lead hand. Yeah, and he's not a huge power puncher in singular shots, no. and he's not a big low kicker. So, like, I'm going to pick Neil Magny. Yeah, I do think D Rod being really good at defending takedowns is going to be annoying for Magny, and I think maybe D Rod could get success with like body jabs and then coming over the top while Magny's defending for it. Uh, I, I could also see D-Rod like, finding a big power shot while Neil Magny is, is like scuttling backwards. I think I'm going to pick Dana Rodriguez, but tentatively, because Neil Magny also has a lot of potential in the matchup to make it really difficult for Rodriguez. Yeah, I, I, just, I always kind of want to bring up whenever there's a Neil Magny fight that there's a reason that Neil Magny has so many wins over good fighters. And has been ranked in the UFC for how long now? <laughs> so for a very long time. He, he's been ranked in the UFC since I started watching MMA. Probably had been for a while. Uh, the rest of the card is kind of whatever. I don't know what, what we're going to do about these fights other than name them and go, oh yeah, that's a fight that's happening. There is some decent ones, but not ones that really lend themselves well to pre-fight analysis. Yeah, and the good ones are kind of buried. To be honest, the next best fight on the card is pretty much Jake Hadley versus Carlos Candelario. Um, the second fight on the entire ass card, which is just a, a cool flyweight technician matchup, but it's still like not necessarily that meaningful even to the flyweight division. Yeah, it's just very strange that they put a former Cage Warriors champion as the second fight on the card against a guy that's also pretty good, like Carlos Candelario is is a good fighter. He pissed off Dana White getting into the UFC and then lost his UFC debut, so... Yeah, and, and the UFC likes Candelario because they like give him the matchups against the, the big prospects for him to lose, so... The UFC only gives you that type of matchup if they like you enough to risk you winning. Yeah, if they think you're good enough for people to give a shit. Yeah, like Candelario is, is not a bad fighter, so if, if Hadley beats him, that actually means something. I, I, I don't really have any analysis for that fight, but I do think it is a, a neat matchup. The Yeah, and the rest of these fights I'm looking at, I'm just like, come on, guys, don't, don't make me talk about Grant Dawson versus Mark Madsen. Don't make me talk about Xinyu Frey versus Pollyanna Viana. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't talk mind about talking about Derek Minner's fight just because Minner is probably going to get takedown stuffed and then get TKO'd, but he also might get a, a weird submission. You know, the the classic Derek Minner. 
duality. It's the yep. classic Derek Minner. Yeah, the classic Derek <laughs> Minner fight. He either Has Derek Minner fought Matt Quinn and I don't believe so. Oh my god. I want to see that. Well, maybe I don't. That is how uh, not that much there is to talk about for the entire card. I, I will say, I think Pollyanna Miranda submits Judy Frey. That's my hot take. And Benito Lopez versus Mario Batista is a good fight. Yeah, I guess that, that's the end of this podcast is us just kind of trailing off and trying to find some shit to say about this card. But uh, who cares? Um, however, if you enjoyed this content and all the other great stuff that Fightside puts out, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Pledge of just $5 gains access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical fight content and also to a Discord server where we have a really cool community full of interesting fight fans who are cool to talk to about fights and stuff. Always uh, getting together. Watching fights in the VCs, it's always a good time. Uh, come hang out, talk to staff, all that stuff. This has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where I guess we'll fucking talk about Jake Hadley versus Carlos Candelario. Uh, but also, we've got another pretty good uh, UFC pay-per-view. Israel Adesanya is fighting Alex Pereira, which is hilarious. I can't believe it's happening. Carlos Barza defending against uh, Zhang Weili. Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler. Should be good fun. We'll see you guys then. Peace. Later. Later.